First Samuel. First Samuel chapter number 13 is going to be our text. Again, we're going to start in chapter 12 uh, several times here recently in our Bible reading. It just has made sense to begin with the la very last part of the chapter. <clears throat> and it's, and it's um, we did that this morning. I think we did that even um, Wednesday night. It just, it, they really, obviously it builds on, on the previous verses. So we're going to start in chapter 12. And then we're going to go into chapter 13. Our series, uh, for those that are guests, by the way, we've got a lot of guests here tonight. We're sure glad that you're here. Had some here this morning, back tonight. Good to see you gentlemen here and then others. I look around and see some guests that were here. It's a real blessing. I had a good number of guests this morning. And uh, so church, let's be mindful of that and uh, go out of our way to try to make them feel right at home here. Okay, so that's... Good opportunity here at the end of the service. We'll introduce those that have joined within the last uh, little bit. Get to know them. Have some fellowship over in the gym too. It'll be a blessing. Okay, First Samuel chapter twelve and uh, verse number twenty-four. Let's just start right there. Oh, only fear the Lord. This is at the very end, the conclusion of Samuel's message at Gilgal to the whole nation of Israel about their future, and he says, "Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth." With all your heart. With all, I, I slow it down for emphasis there. Serve him in truth with all your heart. So vital to your life as a believer. All your heart. Here's why. For consider how great things he hath done for you. Here's a warning. It was issued to Israel. Issued to their new king. It's preserved for us. It's the inspired word of God right here that we're reading. And it's a warning for all of us to take heed to. Look at it, verse 25. But if ye shall do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. There's a warning. A warning. Literally, you'll be uh, swept away. The word consume means you'll be swept away uh, like a tide that's come in. Okay, so chapter 13, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people, he sent away every man to his tent. Notice verse 3. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. He's calling them to join together in the battle, to prepare. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines. Actually, it was Jonathan, but anyways, maybe Saul took the credit. I don't know. They may just be collectively thinking about him being the leader. And that Israel also, notice this, was had in abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul and Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together 
to fight with Israel. Notice, notice the uh, great host that they amass here. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that, when the men of Israel saw that, they were in a strait. Well, I, I reckon so. Wouldn't you be? They were in a strait for the people were distressed. Then notice what happens. Then the people hid themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan. I mean, they're defecting. They're, they're crossing the border. They're going over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, and the, he was in, yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. I mean, they're in a terrible situation right here. Verse 8. <coughs> Pardon me. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Israel had appointed. I'm sorry, that Samuel rather had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he, Saul, offered the burnt offering. It's trouble. He's not a priest. He was supposed to wait on Samuel. You know, like when the professor's late, everybody thinks, hey, if he goes over 10 minutes, we're out, right? Or three minutes, I don't know what the official or unspoken rule is, but we're going to wait around a little bit. But if he's not going to show, that's, that's his fault, right? Amen. Got an amen from Brother Seth over here. <clears throat> Speaking from experience, maybe. <laughs> Okay, somebody help me right here. What verse are we on? Um, okay, verse number 10. And it came to pass that as soon as he had, notice this, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Isn't that how it is? And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. <laughs> and Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, <clears throat> because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou, it's actually emphatic, thou, Samuel, camest not within the days appointed and the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore, I said, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal and I have not made supplication unto the Lord and I forced myself, therefore. I made myself do this, don't you know? It's everybody's fault but mine. And whatever seems to be my fault is not my fault. I forced myself. <laughs> He's a totally innocent in all this. You know, he could have forced himself to pray. And offer to burn offering. Notice verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. 
For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord, notice this, has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. A nation needs revival. Here's the title of the message tonight. It's everyone's fault but my own. It's everyone's fault but my own. <clears throat> if you're going to act on your own, you better own up to your actions. If you're going to act on your own, you better own up to your actions. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's get to it here tonight. In the uh, early years of us being here in Oklahoma City and part of the ministry at Heartland Baptist Bible College, teaching the Heartland Singles class, uh, there was a young man, and I'm not going to mention his name. I didn't ask him for permission to give this uh, illustration, but he gave it, so I'm going to give it on his behalf. He said uh, he was at home one day by himself, and, and uh, his dad had a blowtorch. <clears throat> you can see this, I mean, right there, you can see this isn't going anywhere good. It's not going anywhere good. He's got a blowtorch. He's down in the basement. And uh, I mean, this story's just getting worse by the second, right? So he takes his blowtorch and, and he turns it on. And maybe it's just, you know, one of those that the flame goes straight up. Well, what the problem is, is it, I mean, it went straight up and it hit the ceiling. And so now, you know, I mean, the ceiling is, is on fire. And so, and he tr he's trying to turn the blowtorch off. And if I remember the story right, he, he couldn't figure out how to get it off. He took it over to a deep sink that was there, you know, like a utility size type sink and turned the water on, of course, got that, that under the water, took a bucket and took the bucket and was throwing water up on the ceiling to get it out. Fortunately, was able to get it out. And then he did this. He went out on the front porch and he sat down and he waited for his dad to show up. <laughs> that actually was a very good move right there, you know, because I mean, it's not like he's going to hide this. Here's what he was doing. He's basically sitting on the front porch saying this, I messed up and I'm owning up to it. I messed up and I'm owning up to it. That's not what Saul did. Saul messed up royally and he wasn't owning up to it. He acted it on his, on his own. In fact, I almost called the title of the message just simply that, acting on your own, acting on your own. We're all prone to do that, to act on our own. But, but when you act on your own, you better own up to how you acted. So we're going to look at that here uh, tonight. The Philistines are occupying part of the land of Israel Israel, just, just to make sure everybody's on page here, Israel had been governed, led by God through the wilderness, had been led by God in taking the land of Canaan, the land promised to them since the time of Abraham. And God had been very successful in giving them victory after victory after victory. But now Israel came to a time where they said, Samuel, you know, you're old and you're about to pass off the scene and your sons are worthless. They're not spiritual leaders. And it wasn't like they really wanted a spiritual leader anyways, because, uh, if they had, they wouldn't have asked for what they asked for. Well, what did they ask for? Well, they, they asked for a king. They asked for a king that would be like all the other nations so that they would be like all the other nations. But also a big part of the problem is that they wanted a king literally like all the other nations had a king. They had, a, they had strong kings. They had wealthy kings. They had powerful kings that could lead them into battle. 
And so Israel came to this conclusion, we need us a king that'll lead us into battle because we've got a bunch of enemies. And so we need somebody that can give us victory. Now, mind you of this, God had given them victory after victory after victory, but they're saying, uh, God's not enough, we need man. It really doesn't make sense. And so what happens, though, is God grants their desires, and we've said it week after week, and I'm not trying to run it in the ground, but until it gets deep into our hearts, I think it helps us probably to hear it over and over again. One of the worst things that could happen to you is for God to let you have your desire at a time when you're not really delighted in God. It's a dangerous place to be in, and so God gave them the desire. In fact, here's what they got. They got a king after their own heart. That's what they received, a king after their own heart. God wanted to give them a king. It was God's will that they would have a king. Here's what happened. They got ahead of God. They got ahead of God and they were looking for a profile of a king that did not at all match God's profile of a king, as you'd read in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and other passages about what a king ought to be. They had their own ideas. Here's what they were doing. They were acting on their own and they thought they could handle it. They turn the blowtorch on, next thing you know, it's getting out of control. Are you following the analogy? And so that's what's going on. God gave them a king after their own heart. Here they were as a nation doing what was right in their own eyes. I mean, this is coming out of the time of the judges, right? I realize the book of Ruth is in there. What a great oasis. What a great relief after such a dark time through the judges, after every man had been doing that which was right in his own eyes. Well, here they still are having problems. There's still evidence that they needed a national revival because they'd been doing what was right in their own eyes and they still wanted to do what was right in their own eyes and so they wanted a king like that and so God gave them a king after their own heart. Now, God did not set them up for failure. In fact, even though, and this is encouraging, I, I know I've said a lot of these things in the previous weeks, but I know that as a church family, you're mindful of this. Number one, it doesn't hurt us all to hear it again. Number two, we have a lot of guests here. I want to make sure that they're understanding what's, what's going on here as we come to this, this context. But the thing that we've been mentioning along the way is that even though you blow it, it doesn't mean God's done with you. And he'll give, you a, he'll give you another opportunity, but he's going to be very, very straightforward, very clear with you that, listen, here's what messed you up, so don't keep doing that. Learn, learn. Okay, I may lose my voice saying it, but learn from your mistakes. Learn from your sin. Learn from wrongdoing that I don't ever want to do that again. When I skipped school and I got in trouble in the seventh grade, this is youth night, I told the principal as I said before him, I said, Mr. Burgess, I don't ever want to get in trouble again. That's the only thing I really ever remember telling him. I told him a lot of other things because he asked a lot of questions. But the thing I remember telling him is, Mr. Burgess, I don't ever want to get in trouble again. Well, I got in trouble again, but not like that. I'm telling you, it's a wake-up call to me. And I'm thankful that God allows you to have some wake-up calls along the way where basically this, you, you reap what you've been sowing and eventually it catches up to you. And so, but isn't God so gracious, so loving, so merciful that even when we totally blow it, He's still the answer. And He's still there to help you. But you've got to choose to take His path. You can't keep doing what you've been doing and expect different results. So God said, listen, I'm going to let you have Saul, 
but I'm going to help him. He made available prophets like Samuel that would preach messages and, and thank God for the preachers and the teachers that God has in all of our lives. That that's an act of God's grace and his mercy that he doesn't just leave us on our own to figure it out on our own. And thank God that he preserved his word for us and we can open and read it for ourselves on a day by day basis. I'm telling you, friend, listen, we, we have so many things to our advantage, spiritually speaking. And so God even gave Saul the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God came upon Saul and he prophesied. The Holy Spirit of God came upon Saul and he led them into battle. And I mean, if we could have, we, it would have been wonderful in many ways just to say, well, let's conclude the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 12 and everything is fantastic and great. In fact, you'd come into chapter 13 if you'd only read chapter 11 and 12 and you never read any more of the Bible before, then you'd come to chapter 13 and you'd think maybe something like this, man, he's on a roll. Things are going to keep going. He's submitted to God. The Spirit of God's at work in him and you think, man, this is fantastic. And yet he made another wrong decision. And so that's where we are in our study. The children of Israel now are under Saul's leadership as king, and he's doing exactly what they wanted him to do. In fact, I think in many ways he's doing, listen now, he's doing exactly what you'd expect a leader to do, and that's to take care of the border. <laughs> Hello, is this on? I'm not tapping it, yeah. You'd expect that a leader would say, I'm going to protect us from the enemy that could come in and do us harm or that's taking drugs into the land or causing violence. You'd think, oh, wait a minute, that sounded way too contemporary, I guess. <laughs> but you'd think that a, a ruler would take care of business. Well, here's where I don't fault Saul. I mean, I don't know if the Spirit of God moved him to do this. We don't have a lot of record on this, but, but let's, give him, let's give him some room right here. Let's give him some space and let's, let's recognize that he's recognizing that here's Gibeah right here and just about three miles away from that is Geba, the city where, where the children of, of, I'm sorry, where the army of the Philistines at least has a garrison, maybe a garrison of 100 people or maybe more, but an outpost of the Philistines was just three miles from the capital city. Well, it was, it was smart on his part to say, you know, that's a threat. And we need to remove that threat. We need to, we, we need to make sure that, that we're in a place of, of peace and tranquility and safety. And it really, it is kind of like in our spiritual lives, listen, that, that if you're having trouble with lust, then don't watch TV by yourself. And don't read filthy novels. And don't pick up magazines at the, at the store. Are you seeing where this is? I mean, really, a lot of this is just good old-fashioned common sense. We got an enemy. It's really close. Let's do something about it. So he took 3,000 men and he said, okay, I'm going to keep 2,000 with me. We're going to go north to a, a place called Micmash. And, and Jonathan is going to lead the other 1,000. And he's going to be down here in Gibeah in the capital city, which is, again, close to Geba. Geba is a significant city because if you look it up in Joshua and chapter number 21, I believe it is that Joshua, th this land, this city was one of the cities that was designated for the priest. So listen to this, Saul even had spiritual reasons to get Geba back. So I think at this point at least, he's on the right track. Somebody might take issue with that, I don't know, but it, it seems like 
he's using common sense and he's organizing. And then the thing that he does is he sends the rest of the military home. I'm not sure that that was a good idea, but he says, you all go to your house. This is a small garrison here. So we're going to attack and then we're going to move on. Well, that's what they did. Jonathan, Jonathan left Gibeah and went to Geba and had victory. And, and then it was on the news. Well, what happened then? I mean, Israel could enjoy that for a day. But once the Philistines heard about this uprising there in Geba, then it was on. In fact, it's a lot like when you watch in the Middle East today, if, if uh, somebody with the IDF or the Israeli Defense uh, Defense Force, if, or, or just some rogue group, you know, the Haganah or, or, or some other rogue group uh, takes out some Palestinians or vice versa, and even just three of them die in that conflict, then what can happen? I mean, that, that three Israelis who died could set off the whole Middle East. So here's a, a pocket, a garrison of, of Philistines who died in battle, and it was, it was the fuse that set off the Philistines, and they amassed 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and so many infantrymen that you couldn't even count them all. It's like the sand on the seashore. And that's why Israel said, we're in a heap of trouble. In fact, the wording is that they were in a strait, they were in a tight spot, they were in a difficult situation. So much so, as you read, they began to hide. They ran and they hid in caves. They ran and they hid in pits. They ran and they hid in the thickets. They ran and they hid uh, in the wilderness. They crossed the border and ran and hid on the east side of the Jordan River. Defecting because they knew that they were going to lose against the Philistines. And what's sad about all this is just about two chapters ago, they were in a place of great victory. Saul had heard from Samuel. Now, there, there's some question about, okay, now when, when did this seven-day instruction come? We, we don't have all that record. We do know that back in chapter 10 that there's a record where Samuel told Saul to meet him in, in Gilgal, but they've already been in Gilgal and, and years have passed or time had passed. I, I don't know. I'm not going to try to fill in where I don't have a clue. How's that? Is that fair? All I know this, I, I know this very clearly, and this is the main point. Saul was very clear that he was supposed to wait there till Samuel got there. And Samuel said, I'll be there in seven days. Now, sometimes a man of God will cut it close. I'm sure. <laughs> There's times I walk in here close on time, and I'm sure Brother Aaron and Brother Sam and others are wondering, oh, man, is preacher all right? It's a minute till. You know, I try to get here enough time to get around and visit, but sometimes there's meetings and sometimes I'm earnestly praying, please, God, help me with this outline. Sometimes, you know, there's other things going on. Um, I, don't, I don't think, I, number one, I don't think Samuel was trying to set Saul up for failure. I don't think he was trying to throw a monkey wrench in all this. This wasn't purposeful on Samuel's part, like, I'm going to make him sweat bullets here. I don't think that's it at all. I think he was just running behind. Got caught in a light. No, he's just running behind. And, and, and he sh he's going to show up. 
But, but Saul's in distress. People are leaving. And he's wondering what in the world, where is Samuel? I mean, I, I mean, let's give it to Saul. I mean, that had to be a very stressful six days, seven days. Where's he at? The morning sacrifice opportunity maybe had already come and gone. The evening sacrifice perhaps was fast approaching. They were supposed to offer up a burnt offering. The burnt offering was a picture that our lives are wholly given unto God, that, that we're not holding anything back from God, but that we're doing completely what God wants us to do. That was the whole burnt offering. They weren't to keep any of the meat from that. It was a whole burnt offering. And then after that offering, they were to offer up a peace offering. And the peace offering would have been this indication, everything's all right between us and God. And Saul said, uh, Samuel's not here. People are leaving. Philistines are marching. Somebody's got to do something. I'm the king. Bring me the sacrifice. And he offered up the burnt offering. And he was there on the coals and was burning. And maybe the coals had, were still hot. Now I imagine, I don't know. I don't know how exactly all this comes out. You've got to use your imagination just a little bit here. I imagine somebody came from, you know, they, they were watching what was going on. And somebody maybe made their way in and said, he's here. And, and Saul, Saul's just walking away from that burnt offering. Who's here? Samuel. <laughs> Let's hold off on that peace offering thing. Because not everything's all right between me and God. Samuel, man, so good to see you. Bless you in the name of the Lord. The Bible says he came out to salute him. Acting like everything's okay. Bless you. Man of God, we've been waiting for you. Sure glad you're here. Bless you in the name of the Lord. He said it salutes him. He's casting blessings on him. But even while he's casting blessings on him, he's already brought God's curse on him. And Samuel just asked him, what have you done? Boy, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know what tone that was. I don't know what look was in his eyes. But I know, I've had that from my parents before. What in the world? Usually it's a what in the world question. <laughs> what in the world have you done? What did you do? What were you thinking? Obviously you were not so what were you thinking momentarily? What have you done? And, and, Sam, and Sam, sorry, Saul, Saul says, look, look, look. The people, I mean, look around here, Samuel. I mean, they're gone and, 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 and so they're fleeing. And, and, and well, I mean, to be honest with you, you said you were going to be here and you weren't here. And then the Philistines were pressing in. I mean, they're already at Micmash where I used to be. In fact, if I'd stayed there, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> Saul, you've done wrong. It was people, Samuel. It was you. If I had a better man of God that was on time, if I had better spiritual leadership in my life, if you'd been there when I needed you, if the people, I mean, just the people are to blame here. And then how do you expect me to handle this when the pressure of the Philistines are, is pressing down upon me? How do you expect me to act right here with all this pressure that's going, coming on us from society? How do you expect me to act? Samuel? 
So when I saw all this was just falling apart, then I, I felt obligated. That's really what he's meaning when he says, I forced myself. He said, this is really my only option. I forced myself to do this. It's the only thing I knew to do. And Samuel said, you've acted foolishly. Why does he say that? I mean, that's so very clear that he just lays it right there and says, listen, you've, you've done foolishly. You know what foolishness is? It's when you know what is right and you do what is wrong. He says, he says to, to Saul, you knew what God said. You knew what God said. You, God, by the way, in this time, Samuel's words were at par in authoritative matters with the word of God right here. And so he knew that it was the commandment of the Lord. You have disobeyed the commandment of the Lord. That's verse number 13. That's verse number 14. He says, you've disobeyed the commandment of the Lord. And so because of that, you've lost the kingdom. You've lost the dynasty. It's not going to pass on to your sons. And so God's going to raise up a man after his own heart because you have been a man after your own heart. And Israel has wanted a man after their own heart. But God's not done with Israel. He's going to raise up a man after his own heart that'll do his will. But you've not done God's will. You've done your own will. And Saul lost, forfeited the blessings of leadership, forfeited the blessings of the kingdom because he acted on his own and then tried to blame others for it. And it's everybody's fault but mine. You know, we've had a problem with that, by the way, since the Garden of Eden. Where art thou, Adam? God asked. What is this that thou hast done? And you know what Adam said? One big swoop of the finger pointing. The woman. Shall I preach that a while? The woman that you gave me. So ultimately, who's he blaming? You're the one that made her. You're the one that gave her. It's her fault. Adam, it's your fault. I'm telling you tonight, you will never grow spiritually. You'll never make it in your life if you're blaming everybody else for your wrongdoing. You're not, you're not going to make it. Aaron, Aaron could concoct this, this idea that, you know, the people made me do this, Aaron. I, Moses, I mean, I know, I mean, they're, they're dancing around. They've lost control here. And this, this idol is here. And I, I took their gold. I threw it in the fire. And this calf popped out. You know, when you sin, you come up with some of the dumbest explanations. But he blamed the people. Adam blamed his wife. Adam blamed God. Saul blamed the people. Saul blamed Saul. Saul blamed Samuel, sorry. Saul blamed the Philistines. He blamed his environment. But listen, even today, people are blaming their parents. If I had better parents, if I had parents that weren't so hard on me, if I had parents that weren't so pushy about spiritual things, hey, you ought to thank God tonight that you got parents that are trying to push you to righteousness. Don't you blame your parents. In fact, if you make wrong decisions, then it's not your parents' fault, it's your fault. And it's not your pastor's fault and your college career director's fault and your Sunday school teacher's fault and your wife's fault and your husband's fault and your parents' fault and all these other people. You can't keep blaming everybody and think that somehow God's going to be okay with you coming up with all your excuses. And you can't do what you think is going to be all right and think that it's going to work out okay. I imagine Saul probably thought, you know, I, think, I know this isn't right, but I, maybe it's going to work out. 
Hey, listen, in fact, I I just listened to Brother Sam's message on this passage and he gave this recipe. Here's how you can mess your, your life up. Know what God has said to do and then don't do it. Or know what God has said to do and then just do the exact opposite of that. And that's how you make a big old mess of your life and cause all kinds of chaos in your family and all kinds of confusion. And you'll look at it and you'll think, man, doesn't this seem kind of severe that Saul lost the whole kingdom just because he offered up a burnt offering? Yeah, he was acting like everything was okay. He was going through the rituals. He's going through the motions, but he didn't really have a heart for God because he had a heart for himself. Yes, he was tall. Yes, he was strong. Yes, he was powerful. All those things, but he didn't have a heart for God and it caught up with him. And a lot of people that are good at making excuses are not good at anything else. Warren Wiersbe said. And you can make all kinds of excuses. Say, well, man, it's just tough nowadays. When has it not been difficult? When has there not been a temptation to sin? When has there not been broken homes and broken lives and broken? But when, when has it not been? When, okay, wait a minute. Stop and think about this just a minute if you're trying to use that excuse. Like, man, don't you know? I mean, here it is, you know, youth night and preacher. I know, I mean, you got a cell phone, but you know, you're not on social media. You're not on any kind of a platform like that. You don't have a clue what's going on. I mean, I've done enough research just because I preach youth camps to try to figure out how wicked things can be that are out there. But you're getting inundated with some things and everybody here is getting inundated with some things just by your social media and you don't even want it all. And you say, well, how do you expect me to live a holy life when, when I'm bombarded with sensuality and, and, and ill-clad people and just immodesty and too tight, too short, too revealing? How do you expect us to live as young people like we're in a monastery or something? No, just be holy like God is holy and try to please God rather than try to get the attention of everybody else. Because listen, the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to get what you want at a time when you're not really delighting in God. That's right, sir. That's right. And I'm telling you tonight, here's why we got to keep preaching this type of stuff real strong is because of this. Just one act. That's what happened to Saul. One act. One act can cost you your testimony. One act can cost you sleepless nights. One act can, one act of infidelity, one act of fornication, one act of drunkenness, one act of smoking, one act of sneaking out, one act of, of stealing a car, one act of using your parents' car, one act of, of talking to somebody at work, one act of just clicking on that website, just clicking one time, you think, oh, it won't be a big deal. Next thing you know, you're hooked. And everybody that's ever been involved in alcohol always started with one drink. And everybody that's hooked on nicotine has always started with one smoke. And everybody that's been hooked on marijuana has always started with just one or somebody shared it with them. I saw a billboard, you know, about this, this uh, uh, bud, you know, this dank bud or whatever it is. And, and I don't remember what the other thing is called, but it's big old whatever that is. It looks like it's got a bunch of crater. It looks like a, a bud, a bud. That's what it is. And, 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 and you, you I, don't, I don't know. I'm so, I, I'm so naive to all that stuff. And some of you can help me, but I don't want any help. But I look at that and I think, good night. That looks like fungus or, or that looks like bacteria. That looks like, that looks like something that came out between somebody's toes or something. Why? Why would I want to do anything with that in my life in any way? Smoke it, chew it, shoot it, whatever it is. No, wait, stop and think about what you're doing. Just one act. 
One time of embezzlement at work. One time of, of dishonesty. One lie could ruin your testimony of honesty and trust. Just one, just one. You say, well, it's not fair. Stop whining. Stop whining. Saul was whining. He was complaining about everything and his situation. And he was not going to go anywhere until he stopped whining and said, listen, here's what I can do is just trust God. You know what he should have done? He should have just waited for Samuel to show up. You say, well, what if he didn't show up on day seven? He should have waited till day eight and day nine and day 10 and day 11. In other words, he did not know what to do until he got instruction from the man of God using the word of God. It wasn't about Samuel. It was about God working in Saul's life and God wanted to help Saul. But Saul said, I don't think I need God right here or I don't have time to wait on God. I'm going to do things my way. I think it's going to be all right. Young people, look at me here tonight. You wait on God. Amen. There's young people sitting here. There's young people all around. I'm, I'm trying to find eyes of young people and old people too. Wait on God. You, you want to get married? Then wait on God. You want, I, I'm, going to be, I'm going to try to be careful right here, but you want to have a meaningful physical life with someone that's your spouse? Then wait on God. Don't, don't get involved in fornication before time. Don't even flirt with it through TikTok or Snapchat or any other means. Don't even play with it. Don't, don't even play with it at all because it, it'll create an appetite in your life that, that, and, and it create an appetite in somebody else kind of messing around and flirting and holding hands or kissing or whatever else you may be doing and your parents don't know yet. I'm speaking to college students as well. In fact, I'm speaking to married couples as well. Messing around with somebody that's not your spouse, you'll create an appetite in them that you cannot rightfully before God satisfy. And you know what is right. You know it's not right for you to look on someone with lust. You know that. And here's what foolishness is. Again, it's when you know what God's will is and you don't do it or you do what you want to do. And you'll pay a price. But I'm, I'm urging you tonight. You wait on God. Wait on Him. Submit your life to Him. Stop rebelling against God. You say, preach, I'm in church. Saul was in a worship service. You say, look, I'm here. What, what more do you want? Hey, be all here. Don't rebel against God. You, you, may, you're, you may or may not have the signs of rebellion upon you. Sometimes it's visible. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's hidden. But you ought to make up your mind right now. I'm going to do what God said. Because it's what's best. And you ought to wait on God and His plan for your life. Check this out. If Saul had waited, I'm going to say, just one more hour. In fact, it may be I could say this on pretty firm authority. He had just finished the burnt offering. He was going to move on to the peace offering. But he didn't have time for that. So I'm going to say this because Samuel showed up. If he had just waited 30 minutes... You know, okay, you, you want to have, have the sexual fulfillment? You know what would be good? 
just wait about five years. Just wait 10 years. You say, man, preacher, that's a long time. Nobody else my age is waiting. Well, how's everybody else your age doing? How's it going for them? This makes good sense, doesn't it? I wish I could preach this in some public high schools. But I'm glad to get to preach it right here. To say to you young people, don't you get ahead of God, you wait on God. Don't do something to try to get somebody else's attention by dressing in a certain way that kind of is tantalizing. Uh, who are you trusting? You dress that way, you're trusting yourself to try to get their attention. How about you just give God your attention and let Him get their attention? And he, what he'll do is he'll get the right kind of person's attention. If you try to get attention by the way that you act, the way you dress, the way you yada, 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 you can fill in the blanks. There are all kinds of ways you try to get somebody's attention. But if you try to get somebody's attention in the wrong, attention in the wrong way, guess what kind of person you're going to attract? The wrong kind of person. But if you say, God, I want to give you my attention and I'm just going to go to sleep like Adam did and let you bring my spouse to me. He can put you to sleep <clears throat> until it's time to wake up. And then you'll say like Adam did, wow, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She should be called, whoa, man. He had to wait on God. You got to learn to wait on God. Just 30 minutes. If he had just waited 30 minutes. Some of you are engaged. You need to wait. He said, well, we're engaged. Wait. 30 more days, 60 more days, 90 more days. Wait on God. God's not changed his plan. Wait. Wait. Because just one act can leave you with a lifetime of misery. So if you're going to act on your own, you better be ready to own up to your actions. Now, the wonderful thing about that is when you don't act on your own and you're acting on God's act, guidance in your life, then you get to own up and say, you know, actually this wasn't my plan. This was his plan. I'm just doing what he wanted. Therefore, he gets the glory for it. Yeah, he gets the glory for it. Let's stand together here tonight. <clears throat> he tried to spiritualize his disobedience and it didn't fly with God. It never has. He tried to blame everybody else. In every court session that God's ever had, when somebody's tried to blame somebody else, it's never flown. It's never been valid. He's overruled it. And you won't be the first to get a case by God. So how about we just own up to it tonight and say that we're sinners that need the grace and help of God. And how about we just own up to it tonight and say, God, I, I have been getting ahead of you. I've been impatient. I've been in, in unbelief. But I want to trust you tonight. I want to listen to what you say. And I want to do specifically what you say and not act on my own. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that you've preserved for us. Um, it's been needed through the decades of the people of God that have gathered. We are no different. We desperately need it. And I want to thank you sincerely that you have use your word again to speak to our hearts and I pray that you'd help us just to be restful to wait on you rather than restless and thus reckless in our lives.
Tonight being youth night, God, my heart's very much on young people and that they would learn to wait on you. But it certainly doesn't just apply to the young. It applies to every one of us, God. We're tempted to make life work on our own. And when we do, we certainly make a mess of things. I want to thank you tonight that you're merciful and compassionate. And even if someone has totally blown it, that God, you are still merciful and compassionate. And you're willing to receive them if they would repent and come to you and humble themselves. And so I pray for that tonight as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 274, Lord, I'm coming home. How about we just be open to God tonight? God spoke to your heart. How about you respond as we sing?